0: All right. Well, I am here with Gigi LaRue and uh, Gigi is here to talk about our duty. And I'm uh, this is a is it a parent led organization, Gigi?
1: It is. It's parent led and all volunteer. And um, it originated in the UK. OK, uh, probably six. No, it was five years ago. They just had their birthday. Okay. And um, I found out about it about three years ago and got involved in um, the United States, inception of the United States branch. And now there's one in Australia. There's one in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking to set one up in Central America.
0: Okay. And, and our duty, what is the, what is the mission of this organization?
1: It's really to give parents with trans identified or gender questioning kids, um, non medical therapeutic support for them and their children. Because I think the current model that's being used for most of the world is the affirmative model, which basically says if, if your child is in gender distress, Um, They need to start on hormones and inevitably that leads to surgery, not in all cases, but in many cases, and all of those things are generally irreversible. And so I think for most parents with young children, especially um, and young adults, you know, a therapeutic, um, loving, accepting, empathetic model is really what we aim to connect people with. And it's difficult to find in this climate um, because there's a lot of politicization of this issue which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I know that there are a
0: lot of um, therapists who are afraid to touch this issue and um, don't necessarily want to work with, within the affirmative model, but are also uh, required by their licenses to to tread very carefully when it comes to exploratory therapy for fear that they could be branded as conversion therapists or get in trouble for something that that's considered conversion. So are you, is our duty working with licensed therapists or is it more of a peer support um, community or what is, what is
1: it? It began as peer support and it began with parents gathering once a month or however often they chose to in whatever location they are and uh, just talking and, and trying to help each other figure out how to manage these feelings, because for a lot of people, there's nobody they can talk to. I will say as a liberal Democrat, I'm pro-gay marriage. I'm pro-choice. I have been my entire life. um, I'm astonished at how so many people who claim to be progressive sort of um, can't address this issue without just really shaming people for having questions about it. I mean, I think the truth about this experience is you really can't understand it until it happens to you. Mm -hmm. Um, We all have ideas about how we would act. and, And until it happens to you, Um, and it's your child saying that they don't feel like they were born in the right body and that they think they should go on experimental drugs and get surgery. Um, It's it's really until then that that people sort of realize that there's something else going on, there's something else at play. So I think the peer support is integral. And then we have had therapists coming in. We need more, please, if you're interested and you're watching this and you're a therapist, please reach out. Um, We're connecting people on private channels If you can go public and want to go public, there's the Gender Exploratory Therapy Network that's associated with Genspect and that's all over the world as well. Um, And you know, the goal here, this isn't about conversion therapy. This is about getting the best outcome for the patient. And I think that that's really a misnomer, all these laws, you know, lumping gender identity in with sexuality, with conversion therapy, it's not the same thing, first of all. And second of all, the the bills that have passed, I, I think are vague enough that you know, if you want the best outcome for the patient, I think the accusation of conversion therapy would have to be pretty, pretty significant for you to, to have your license challenged. Um, it's really about people advertising. The Therapeutic Fraud Prevention Act that was passed in California was specifically aimed at people advertising that they would charge money to try to un, you know, untrans or un, mm. ungay your kid. Like that, that's not allowed. But I don't think that's what therapists are trying to do. I think they're trying to get to the root of this distress because it comes from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it's hitting at puberty for a lot of kids, to me, is a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most uncomfortable time in our entire lives. You know, we we get this idea. I mean, if I could look back at my 14-year-old self and say, yes, you can take a magic pill and all these self-loathing feelings will go away, I would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely empathize with how these kids feel.
0: Well, and it's interesting that you, you mentioned that your perspective is your, you identify as a liberal Democrat and just full disclosure, I would have said that about myself a few years ago. Now I can no longer say that, but I don't have a new label to replace that. (laughs) So I, you know, but I certainly, I certainly see the democratic party not representing my values and beliefs at this point, but that's your, that's been, that's the perspective from which you're coming and yet you're you're challenging some things that seem to be strongly held within that, that particular group. Um, how did you come to sort of have a more nuanced view about these issues than the, the progressive party line? How did you come, uh, I guess, what was the dawning awareness and what was that progress of your thinking that allowed you to start asking questions about some of these things?
1: Well, I think it was, um, in the very beginning of just sort of figuring this out, I was shocked to find that there was really no conversation about it. And the Lisa Lippmann paper was the first thing that I sort of stumbled upon that I thought like, that's very odd Mm -hmm. that a very venerated, reputable liberal university would pull a, a peer reviewed paper from one of their most respected researchers because of a public outcry. Like, and then I read it and I was like, this is not controversial this is literally she's writing down what she saw Mm -hmm. and what parents said about their children and and there's sort of that played into this idea that parents don't know their children they can't speak for their children well that's nonsense Mm -hmm. you know you have kids i have kids like we know our kids we may not know every single thing about them but we know them better than complete strangers do Mm -hmm. and i think that's been the most that was kind of the point at which i went like that's weird and then um i think abigail schreier's book came out um and nobody would review it you know, the New York Times, the Kirkus Review, again, well-respected bastions of democracy and conversation and, you know, all that stuff that nobody would review it. And I was really disappointed. And I think as time has gone on, um, you know, I canceled my subscription to the New York Times. I joined the Independent Party. Um, But then I realized if we abandon the Democratic Party for nothing or for the Independent Party, we lose our opportunity to, to change people's perspectives, because my worldview has changed. I never expected to be this person at this age, I never expected to to see everything I've ever believed in completely undercut by this particular issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's irrational. And so I think if you explain it to people one by one, they start to understand that this is this is a rift within our party that we can take the people that are more centrist and start something new. Mm -hmm. But I think abandoning the whole thing, Um, is a mistake. Because what that does is it drives people into the arms of the other side, which is has its faults for the different reasons, Mm -hmm. but are just as bad. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like, Mm -hmm. we're sort of stuck in the middle. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying about resisting polarization and reactivity, just because you're responding to one aspect. And so it sounds like it was really the shutting down of discourse that you started to notice and, and that there were there were things that you you couldn't ask questions about and you couldn't explore, and that was really um, that was really alarming to you, and it made you want to ask more questions.
1: Well, yes, and I think that's that's this that's what democratic that's what the democratic process is about. It's supposed to be a robust debate, right? So the fact that my people were the ones shutting it down was very strange um, and and very concerning to me, and I think it came from I I mean I like to think it came from a good place, you know, I, all of these people. That are pushing this you know we've we've talked to the parent groups we've met with doctors we've talked to Joanne elson kennedy we've talked to a dr drew cronin back east who's a proponent of this um they believe they're doing the right thing mm-hmm. and so that's the difficulty is they're not evil heinous people and that's the trap that you can fall into is believing that they're bad and we're good mm-hmm. it's not that's why it's so much harder because if they were really bad then you know we could we could point the finger and everybody would agree with us but you know there's a There's a disconnect between what gender-affirming care means Mm -hmm. and what is happening. And I think once people find out what that actual definition applies to, they'll be much less likely to support it. Um, But everybody's reading a headline these days, right? There's no time Mm -hmm. to actually dig in. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the NPRs and the liberal papers that I grew up reading, um, you can't trust them anymore because they're telling one side of the story. Mm -hmm.
0: And have you had any luck reaching across and talking with people who are on that, on that, uh, accepting that headline narrative on the other side uh, in, in terms of illuminating the issue in a way that helps them to see that it's a, it's a bigger deal than perhaps they think it is and maybe that there's something to really be concerned about?
1: Yes, but I think, again, it's the rare person who would get involved in this in any meaningful way who doesn't have a child in it. And so that's why when you talk to administrators, and and you talk to you know other people's parents. Everybody kind of like like, but until until it happens to them and they have a perspective of how dangerous this is, um, I think that's when people get activated. You have the very rare you know Billboard Chris, for example. He he mm-hmm. doesn't have a kid in this, but he has turned this into his life's work mm-hmm. because it's meaningful. And I, I I can say I've done the same as much as possible um, because it's not just you know it it could just be. It's not just my kid or your kid or it's, it's everyone's kids. There's, this Mm -hmm. is a massive public health crisis Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. being treated with experimental medicine Mm -hmm. and the outcomes are going to be devastating.
0: And, you know, as you're describing it, saying that, you know, people can have, you can have an idea about what you would do or what, what you think about this issue, but once it hits your own family, you, you, you see people shift and you see people have, have some realizations and yet it, the decision makers in a lot of cases are not the people who are being impacted by this they're making these decisions based on what seems to me to be misguided compassion, and mm-hmm. sort of a, sort of a lack of understanding of the scope of what's going on. And how do you communicate with people who are in that position. I, I, I wonder what success you've had in, in terms of communicating um, your concerns.
1: You mean to other parents
0: or um, to, to, to to decision makers? I mean, do you do you guys? Uh, yeah. I, what's the yes, What's the role of the community? We talk, mm-hmm.
1: Yes, we talked. We talked mm-hmm. to um, we talked to uh, assembly people and and senators and people that are voting on these terrible bills that are being proposed in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the time, you know, you don't get the real person on the phone. Mm-hmm. Even when we did, we got my my guy on the phone, and uh, he listened to us for quite a long time. But at the end of the day. Said he was going to go talk to his college age daughter about it and make up his mind. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, and then about two months later, he passed a bill that you can't, um, or he proposed a bill in California that you can't um, harass a teacher if you don't agree with what they're teaching. And oh, so, what wow. that basically did was say, like, you can't annoy, like, it's so vague that it could be anything. It could be an email saying, Why are you teaching kids that puberty blockers are a normal part of? Puberty,
0: and that's what happens in yeah. a lot of
1: That's yeah. good. exactly so. It, yeah. It's all sort of determined by the teacher. What's That's just. It's just designed to shut down the discourse. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, until. I, I think there's going to reach a critical mass, which is why, again, I'm I'm saddened that all these new parents are coming in. I mean, sometimes it's, I think we had 40 people last month, which wow. is unheard of wow. comparatively. It used to be like once every couple weeks, um, and that's happening on both coasts. And we've had to. And, you know, ask for new volunteers to take up different regions because it's impossible to keep up with the demand um, in any meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you want to give people time and you want to hear their story and you want to tell them that they're not alone. And Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing about what we do is letting people know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. Um, I've really seen the power of that Um, and giving people things to read and ways to talk about this because it's, it's, it's terrifying. Um, It's a terrifying experience.
0: Well, I think it's really refreshing that you come from the perspective that you do, um, because it's it's um, it seems to indicate a bit of a shift in terms of, um, I, I guess, an an open mindedness within the the live liberal wing of the U.S. I mean, it's it's really, I think that uh, there's so much there's so much polarization and there's so much closure on that on the left uh, I, that I've seen over this process. And so it's really nice to see people able to sort of take a broader perspective. And I think that because that's where a lot of this ideology is situated, it th- the ability to communicate through that is going to come from people who are center to left themselves, I think. And um, could you tell me what's the process when a when a parent, contacts our duty what what is the process that that um that happens then and what's the support network like and
1: well it's different in every state um so you know it depends on where you are we do our best to connect people um as quickly as possible but you send an email via the website and they'll Mm -hmm. connect you to whatever region you you know we, we split the country in half so it depends on what part of texas you're in you might get the west coast you might get the east coast um and We'll set up a Zoom call, and we'll you'll tell me. You know, it's all confidential. We take we take records of you know age, name, sex, so we can keep records of who it's happening with, because mm-hmm. that's helpful. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, of the child and
1: what in sure and and what okay. influenced them. Um, mm-hmm. If you know um, when it happened, um, where they are now, and then what you're looking for, because a lot of people, everybody has a different story. So, you know, some people are looking for residential facilities for their self harming children where they won't affirm and that's much harder to find so if you work at a residential facility where you won't affirm a child's trans identity please reach out to us because we're desperate for that kind of support um we've found a lot of therapists who have come to us um over the last six months as a result of that uh the daily signal interview that aaron friday gave um a lot of people have found us through that which has been amazing and um yeah then we talk we usually have about a half hour to an hour conversation and um, I give you a list of resources via email, and you know you take what you, what works for you. And then in that email, there's a connection to the parent support group. And some of those are going to be online, and some of those will be in person. It just depends. Um, mm-hmm. But there's quite a lot more support than there was, you know, three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And it sounds
0: like the network is growing quite a bit as well, and the need is growing as well. It is.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the need is growing, and I think you know, parents are coming into this with all different levels of education. Some of them have done a lot of their own homework. So a lot of the stuff I send may be redundant, but there's always gonna be something because there's so much information about this now that you didn't get. So it's helpful just to make sure that you know, you know know you're up to speed with the latest developments out of Europe, the important stuff, the facts that are gonna help us sort of um, get through to the people who are perpetuating this.
0: Mm -hmm, do you hear a lot of similarities in the stories that the parents who come to you are telling about their experiences?
1: Yes. Very similar, frighteningly similar. Um, Sometimes they're so similar that I think like, did this person already call in? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's, it's a, it's a, you know, there's, there's channels that we've noticed. Um, And again, this is anecdotal. This isn't scientific, but it's, it's kids with sexual trauma. It's kids on the spectrum. It's kids with ADHD. A lot of them have ADHD. And I guess. It hadn't occurred to me until that really started becoming a factor that of course they're hyper focused on things for, for periods of time um this is a perfect outlet for that um kids who are bullied and have no friends who finally find friend groups uh same-sex attracted kids who are working on their gay or lesbian experience of being uh, you know a, a, attracted to the same sex in high school and, and evidently according to a lot of gays and lesbians that's a very common thing to adopt the persona. You know, to if you're a lesbian, you adopt for more of a male persona, and you hang out with boys. But you know, it used to be that you, you could just do that and be a tomboy or be a lesbian. And now it's the first thing, you know, you're trans. Um, and I think it, it it also surprises me how how little knowledge the kids have mm. of mm. what that really means and why their parents are so scared. Because I think for the kids, they're not connecting it with medicalizing. They're not looking at hormones and binding. And all the stuff that we see as horrifying as the self-harm that it is, they're looking at it as like being part of a group and this is how you do it. It's, it's very odd to me, the disconnect. And I think that's because their brains aren't fully formed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they can't conceive of like, they would never, you know, they would never hand out medication that was bad for you. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. they would though. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's a, a, an awareness thing that I think, you know, the TikTok and social media sort of glosses over that, Mm -hmm. that these are controlled substances that they're, accessing.
0: Do you have a sense of the prevalence of this right now? In, um I guess you're working around the world, not just in the US, but um, what, what do um, you think that the prevalence is among young people right now?
1: Well, I think the latest statistic, um, I think there's a Republican candidate running for president who has been using this as an issue. And well, I appreciate it. I think it's also has some negative side effects because it's perceived as a Republican talking point when it's actually not. Mm-hmm. It's a medical ethics issue. But um, one in ten, I think. Oh wow! Um, okay. In the United States, I think that was the latest. I could be wrong, but um, it's a lot. It's a lot of kids, and again, they're not all medicalizing. But I think the the ease with which they can is is the problem. I mean, I did a little test when I came across. Uh, I think Fourth Wave now from. Denise from fourth wave now uh, published a document talking about the therapists across the states that will give you a surgery letter or a gender marker change letter or a hormone letter in an hour. So you can Mm -hmm. meet with them for an hour and get your Mm -hmm. letter, Um, Mm -hmm. which I didn't believe could be true because an hour is not enough time to meaningfully get to know somebody or diagnose them with something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's true. I have 20 emails from people who I've never met in California who will give my daughter a mastectomy letter. In an hour mm-hmm. over the phone mm-hmm. for free.
0: Yeah, I did a video early on about the Gallup, uh, where I talked about the Gallup project, which is like the gay and lesbian letter writing project, or something. Maybe it's not gay and lesbian, but it's the it's a trans it's a group um, that therapists can join that where they pledge to write these letters for free for kids and who anybody who want they just sign up and you can find a Gallup therapist through their website and they've got their directory and you just, they've already pledged. So they're sight unseen. They don't even know you. They have no idea about your story. They're just so dedicated to the idea of writing these letters in order to green light this stuff. And you, all you have to do is is schedule with them for an online meeting for, you know, 40 to 55 minutes, and they will have guaranteed that they will give you your letter. So they don't, they, you know, it's just, it's right there. They don't care about your comorbidities or your pre existing. Trauma or any other other thing in your life, they're just going to write you a letter. And
1: how is that not profoundly unethical?
0: It is. I I mean, mean, that
1: that it is. Yeah. But that's what I can't figure out is Mm -hmm. that the the ethical piece of this is just. um, I I don't get it. I don't understand how these associations that which is why it 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 operates its ideological capture, right? It it has to be. I don't understand how else you could. You wouldn't do that for any other kind of serious intervention Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. Um, I can't think of one actually that you would have to meet for somebody for an hour and the Planned Parenthood piece which you know I've supported my entire life because I believe in reproductive health care and rights Mm -hmm. and I don't think there should be one clinic in an entire state for poor women to be able to take care of themselves if they have to Um, because it doesn't just do abortions they do also other things but because of the abortion thing now they're doing hormones because Mm -hmm. the funding was cut it's the second largest stream of revenue for them Oh, it's, wow. It's reprehensible. It's reprehensible that you can go into Planned Parenthood and get estrogen or testosterone in a 20 minute conversation. Is it,
0: So just one session they can walk in and do that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it seems like it raises questions about the line between um, treatment of a condition or consumer medicine. So it's just like a consumer, this is just a consumer medicine issue. And so if that's the case, then why is there, why is there a need for any kind of letter in the first place? What, what, what purpose is that serving? If that all that is, is a, a rubber stamp, it's just um, an automatic green light and there's no, there's no assessment being conducted.
1: I think that's probably for the lawsuits that they've, that they, they're that they are concerned might happen right i mean it's it's that's the i mean i know for a fact that that most surgeons aren't vetting their own clients at some mm-hmm. hospitals because they don't have time so they're assuming that the therapist that's talking to their client is asking the right questions and we now know in many cases that's not happening so as a, as then you know it's it's be, it's on it's a it's a it's a pathway so it's on yeah. the people who hold the you know the gatekeeping piece that they've tried to eliminate Mm -hmm. and have successfully done so. In in reality, um, it's, it's up to somebody who, whose career rides on this to stand up and say, no. And I think it's got to start with surgeons Mm -hmm. saying, why are we giving the 16 year old a mastectomy? Mm -hmm. Like why, why is this happening? Um, I think a lot of it is ignorance. I don't think people know that, that it's happening in their hospitals. And so the clinics are operating under their own leadership and in their own little bubble. Um, we need whistleblowers. We need people to say, like Jamie Reed, who who recognize that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in my experience, most of the nurses are wearing pronoun badges and um, keeping quiet, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I don't blame them. I mean, this is not easy. Um, but we we need more people to stand up because I think at some point they can't, you know, they can't tell everybody to sit down. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and and when you mentioned sixteen-year-olds getting mastectomies. Um, there's some disagreement over whether these kind of surgeries and hormonal interventions are actually being used on young people under 18. But are you seeing quite a few people, are you seeing examples of that and, and, and what are you seeing in the parents that you speak with?
1: Um, yes, it's absolutely happening. And I think it's interesting because, you know, the, it always goes from the argument of, Oh, that's not happening to like, well, if it is happening, then that's really exceptional to like, well, you know, it's good for their mental health. Like there's always an, an excuse. It's like, like the, the denial goalpost keeps moving. Um, and I think the main issue is is that it isn't happening. I mean, the Reuters article has all the statistics, which of course, unfortunately I can't quote you directly, but there was a wonderful de- detransition, three piece detransitioner article in, in Reuters. And they talked about there's hundreds, hundreds of, of kids on block, thousands on blockers, hundreds oh, wow. of, of 13 to 17 year olds getting mastectomies. Wow. Um, and again it's not a matter of how many but I mean how many is enough is my question Mm -hmm. like that that's really what it boils down to with all this um yeah it's not happening that many well okay but like (laughs) where's the threshold for okay that's too many Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and I think that's the part that you know applies in all these situations the same thing with the men and women's prisons issue like women already get raped in prison well okay so we're just gonna open the door and let everybody in. I mean, like it's, it's a very odd logic Mm -hmm. um, to support something that again, does not have a strong evidence base. And I think that's really the most important thing is that they're using, you know, the the Joanna Olson-Kenny study, the the mastectomy study from uh, a couple of years ago and the two-year follow-up you know, a 13 year old gets a mastectomy, she's not gonna really regret it necessarily or be able to acknowledge that until she's much older. And mm-hmm. we know from the other studies that have been done, it's a 10 year regret rate is the, is the norm, seven to 10 years. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about apples and oranges with studies. So if you, if you post a bunch of studies that have two year follow-ups, it's not enough time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's just a willful blindness, I think on the part of the people that are promoting this to say that the research, the evidence is there, it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, the science is not settled. And so I'm shocked actually that Glad has taken up the, the drum beat of, of uh, this is it's life-saving care when they don't have the proof. Like it's not, there's no proof mm-hmm. yet here they are getting signatories and telling everybody to try to squash social media accounts that call it dangerous. I think mm-hmm. that's a very um, stupid move because mm-hmm. I would love to name them in the lawsuits that are to come mm-hmm. if they do that.
0: And and do you have a sense of optimism that we're reaching some kind of awareness where this is going to shift? Or, or what do you what do you think is going to happen from here?
1: I think it's going to take time um, to unravel all of this. But I do think that, yes, I think, unfortunately, it's going to be on the backs of detransitioners, the which they've already had such awful experiences. Um, I have such empathy for them, but we need them. We need them, and I don't mean we need them so we can use them as political pawns because I think a lot of them feel that way. It's not about that. We need them to tell their stories. So I don't know if you saw that uh, Milo from the MTV movie, they did a documentary in 2016 about a woman um, who now goes by they, them, who is a hairdresser for LGBTQ youth and adults. And she goes around the country cutting hair and she's a lovely person, but that kid um, just detransitioned. You know, so the, the, the sort of story when you watch it, it's, oh my God, all these kids and there's a kid shooting testosterone and there's a kid on, on a kid shooting estrogen and a kid on testosterone. And they're talking about how, you know, amazing this journey is for them. And then like, where's the follow-up that this kid is now on, uh, you know, realizing that they were autistic, realizing they made a mistake. Um, I'm not sure, entirely sure how far Milo went. I don't know if they got a hysterectomy or they went the full, full tilt, but I think, um, that needs to be mentioned, you know, and I think the same thing with all the lawsuits and the insurance issue, like they need to say, if you're gonna cover transition and force states and Medicare to cover it, you need to cover detransition, um, but that's not happening. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, surprising to me, considering that the numbers are rising rapidly.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're kind of describing in that MTV example th- that there was this demonstration of the story of someone. It's a, like, a, like a happy trans story and then there's no mention there's no follow-up and no depiction of the fallout and the aftermath when this person i guess decided that this wasn't the decision that was best in their life and has whatever degree of regret okay
1: right it just happened so the question is will they follow it up and and maybe they will by the way maybe they will i would love it if they did um we Mm. know that um we had a documentary crew come down to the pediatric endocrine society And follow us, um, and follow one of the detransitioners that was there. And you know, will they spin it? Will it be a will it be a positive depiction? Will it be an honest depiction? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. It really depends on who who the narrative is is trying to appease or or reach. And I'm hoping that that they do the right thing, which to me is just telling the story. And Mm -hmm. that's why that documentary Affirmation Generation, which was purchased and rebranded as No Way Back, which was supposed to premiere in theaters and was Stopped from activist pressure. Um, that movie is a perfect example of how you make something that reaches everybody, because it's not sensational. It's telling the truth. It's fact based. It's she's checked she evidence. You know, she checked. She made sure that she didn't make a single misstep and say anything that wasn't accurate. And so I think if you if you stick with the truth, um, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think that's that's been the most challenging thing is we have to be measured and calm. And say the facts in the face of being yelled at and screamed at and called a transphobe and mm-hmm. um, you know losing friends. I mean, the stories are just awful that people are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have to be the ones who who hold the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And what it I, I did see that that video that movie? And I thought it was very well done. Um, mm-hmm. What what other resources would you point people to um, if they're curious about? learning more about what's going on or, or if they're concerned about their own child or someone they know?
1: Well, I would read, um, I would read irreversible damage, which is difficult to get through because it's so um, it's so well written. And it's so hard because when you start to recognize things that are familiar to you, it can be very difficult to keep going, which a lot of people have said to me um, that have called in um, Hannah Barnes time to think, which is all about the Tavistock clinic. Um, It talks about, you know, I mean, that's going to happen here. It's inevitable, but it took 15 years for the whistleblowers to get any kind of real traction. So it's hopefully here, it's a shorter process. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you, if you feel there's all different, it depends on your need. You know what I'm saying? If you think your kid is, is susceptible to this, I would, um, I would give us a call and I can send you the list, but we have to vet everybody that, that we we send the resources to because mm-hmm. we want to make sure that there's nobody trying to sort of get in on the inside and you know disrupt things which they're known to do. Um, and basically, yeah, I think that's no way out, or no way back is coming out soon. Uh, there's a detransition diary, Saving Our Sisters is excellent. Dead Name is excellent. Um, there's a series on YouTube called Dysphoric um, Fleeing Womanhood Like a House on Fire. It's all in the resources list that I send out. But basically, there's also a podcast. Andrew Sullivan has written some wonderful things on his Substack. Wesley Yang is very involved in this. Jesse Single, There's a lot of, um, you know, I, I don't know their politics, but my guess based on the other things they support is that they're not super right wing. Um, so it, it's a it's a it's an honest centrist take on this mm-hmm. issue, which is what we need. Leor Sapir. There's so many people that are writing about this now. Um, and they're out there, and they're on Twitter, and you know, honestly, Twitter has been a godsend for this because in the beginning there was no other way to access this information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You couldn't see it in the New York Times. You you would only see it on Fox, which you know, no disrespect to Fox, but you can't use Fox as a legitimate resource well, for people. Yeah, a lot of people won't listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they won't yeah. even yeah. consider it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as a parent, I, you know, hearing this, I, I haven't. I'm gonna just cross my fingers and hope I never have to deal with this as a parent. I've, I've not been close to this in that way, but my, when I think about the fear that a parent would have going into this, I mean, it's, it's um your, if your child is, is struggling with this kind of dysphoria or this, these kind of thoughts, it's unlike any other thing that your child could could struggle with because there's an entire infrastructure right now that backs them up and affirms this, this thing against you, the parent, rather than like, if it was something else, you could go to the teacher, you could go to, uh, you would know that the other adults and authority figures in the child's life would have, would, would align with you in supporting the child towards health. But in this, you don't know who's on the other side and helping your child along the road towards something that you're afraid is very harmful for them. And so that's uniquely scary. And then I also just, I, I, my heart breaks when I think about the parents whose daughters have done these surgeries and how that must feel to know that your, your kid has, has gone through a medical surgical process that they can't return from. And
1: yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's where we, we try to offer peer support because truthfully, it's sort of like the death of the, the death of a parent. like until you've experienced it, you really don't know how it's gonna affect you. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's the kind of thing where you need other people who know what you've been through. And mm-hmm. then, and especially with that, and when they start the cross-sex hormones, mm-hmm. I mean, it's devastating. And, you know, people have done all the right things. And, and I think that's the biggest thing is, is a lot of parents call in and they blame themselves for this. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm so quick to say, like, you didn't even know what it was. How could you have possibly prevented it? Like, it's not your fault for not recognizing something you, you can't see. Like, if you don't know what it is, you don't know how to deal with it. So I think, and even if you do know what it is, like you said, the the, the you know the entire world, it feels like, is against you. Um, I know it's not. I know that there are teachers at every school who, are, who don't agree with this, who, who see what's happening. Um, we need them to stand up. We need teachers to, to, you know, cross maybe some moral lines and and show us gender support plans from their school and show us the curriculum and and, and be be open and transparent about what's happening because I think most people don't realize, um, again, what they're teaching kids. And I I do believe that we are manufacturing, you know, gender dysphoria kids um, by teaching them about gender and that you're not a boy or a girl and stuff that is just you know, very ideologically based and not based in fact or biology. And so I think that has a, a real departure in the last, what, 10 years? It's become um, part of every curriculum. And it, 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 it's dependent upon, it's a choice the schools are making. I think that's the other thing, is it's a choice they're making to hide your child's transition. It's a choice they're making to start talking about gender before seventh grade. Um, you, you can opt out, you should be able to opt out of certain things. And I think it's a choice they're making to infuse it into every subject. So as parents, if you're going to private school, you you have, you have a checkbook that you can use as leverage. And if you're going to public school, you you need to go to the board meetings. I mean, look what happened in Glendale. I'm not advocating for violence, but you know that was incredible that all those people showed up. And it happened in um, the Muslim community in Michigan as well, I believe, where they know more. They don't want they don't want kids to be learning about things. I I just think it's 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 difficult because um, this is bringing together some very odd, strange bedfellows, and so it it you know I've been I've been asked like how can you stand next to someone who doesn't believe in choice, and I'm like because that's not what we're standing here for, you know I I don't believe in Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to tell them you know because they do that that they something's wrong with them. I I can stand next to them and we can unite on this one issue, but there are other. I don't have to worry about that. Okay.
0: Well, um, yeah, I think that, that that's uh, I, that's a good point. I mean, the the perhaps there's some depoliticizing of people's identities going on throughout re- through realizing that we can agree with each other across um, across political lines and um, drop some of that. It's it, what you say about strange bedfellows. That's really interesting and. Um, and i I guess i ha- I have a lot of thoughts about what's happened in the in the culture politically over the last several decades, but um I wonder if there's something good that can come from realizing that maybe maybe we aren't as polar as we think we are.
1: Well, I think it it's I mean look, I, I will be totally truthful with you. I was those people. I was that person when mm-hmm. Trump was elected, um, I lost my mind mm-hmm. because I couldn't believe. The, the, I, I couldn't believe it because I just assumed, you know, the Hillary had all the balloons. I mean, and, uh, I, 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 I just I couldn't believe it, and so I think um, I really was angry with my relatives um, who voted for him, my in-laws. I, I couldn't really talk to them about it. I, I didn't want to. I, I just I couldn't, and I don't know why. I still can't tell you why. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the Trump derangement syndrome that they talk about. But what I realized as time went on. Um, how dangerous that kind of thinking is, no matter even if it's for something good, if you think it's for something good, it's it's really um people are not their worst idea. Mm-hmm. People are an amalgam of many ideas. And so there's something um, beneficial from this whole exposure to this for me that I've had my worldview change to see that we're not we should not be limited by our political beliefs and 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 I think that Democrats are are guilty of that. I think I have a lot more respect for conservatives than I ever did because they're willing to stand up for unpopular ideas and they're willing to, they have the courage of their convictions. They really do. Um, and they don't silence debate. Mm -hmm. They, they don't agree with you, but they still welcome you into their life. And I think that, that we don't, I can't say Democrats do the same. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of vilification of conservatives, Mm -hmm. which is why this issue is so fraught because, you know, yes, the right, has picked this up as a winning issue for the for the election, but you'd be a fool not to. <laughs> it's 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 an issue that is incredibly important. Um, but it, again, it it doesn't resonate unless it's affecting you personally. So people are like, "Well, there's more important issues," and I'm like, "I don't know. The sterilization of an entire generation is kind of important <laughs> in the grand scheme of things." Um, so that's really um, yeah. It's it's been. Uh, But, you know, again, our our goal is to just help people have these conversations Mm -hmm. and embolden them with language to be able to have these conversations Mm -hmm. and talk to your school and talk to your principal and talk to other parents, Mm -hmm. because that's what's going to change things. Mm
0: -hmm. Conversations. Yeah,
1: it is. And Mm -hmm. it already is. Um, It's going to allow people. I mean, one of the women that called me is a dyed in the wool liberal Democrat whose sister had been telling her about this for years. And until it happened to her kid, she 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 kind of ignored it. Mm. And then she said, I, I needed to give myself permission to question this as a, as a, as a good Democrat. And I was like, yep, I know the feeling, mm-hmm. but you know, what kind of club won't let you question it? And you know, what kind mm-hmm. of party tells you, you have to believe everything they say. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that's, yeah, absolutely. It's um, the, if you can't ask questions, that's a real red flag. Yeah. Um, I agree. I want to be respectful of your time. I know we need to wrap up. Where can people find our duty if they want to reach out to you?
1: It's ourduty.group/slash/usa, and you can register, and then you will come. Um, you will come. You'll get an email uh, back from someone, depending on where you live, you know, trying to set up a Zoom call, and then we'll take it from there. Um, and again, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a really scary experience. So you don't have to do it alone. We're meeting people who, who haven't had support for six and seven years. who have been doing this by themselves who are suddenly waking up and realizing like, Oh my God, there's other people. So that's kind of our goal. It's just to unite. And, and again, therapists, doctors, anybody who um, is concerned about this, please reach out because we can connect you with like-minded people.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for this conversation and and for sharing your time with us today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.